for music and words that allow God's Spirit to penetrate our hearts and transform our lives. Let the people say, Amen. Our second lesson today comes from the letter of John, the first letter of John. I'm reading from chapter 4 of 1 John, beginning at the seventh verse. We keep listening for God's Word. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us all His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. They abide in God. So we have known And we believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or a sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God, must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. I want to begin today with a personal story. It was almost exactly five years ago this month that I was in Jerusalem with a group of uh, 22 Presbyterian ministers, a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. This was indeed one of the most memorable events of my adult life, seeing the sights of the Holy Land, walking where Jesus walked, uh, appreciating the people, grasping the geography and the ethos of that sacred region was wonderful. I look forward to going back someday. Well, on one particular day of this pilgrimage experience, we spent a long afternoon along the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross. Now, this is a famous route through the old city of Jerusalem that attempts to follow the same path that Jesus walked, carrying the cross to his crucifixion and his death. Undoubtedly, some of you have been on this walk. There are 14 stops along this way, places where Jesus was beaten, places where allegedly Mary came out and met Jesus, places where Simon of Cyrene uh, was made to carry the cross because at another spot Jesus had dropped the cross and on it goes and it winds through this old section of Jerusalem to what is now the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is a very old church built around 300 A.D. 
built allegedly on the spots where Jesus was actually crucified and died and laid even in the tomb. So it's very traditional when one goes to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to kind of move through this kind of walk like others on the journey. Uh, our group of Presbyterian preachers stopped at the various spots along this Via Della Rosa and we read passages of scripture and we reflected on this story. Our group uh, would pause and it was quite distracting because all of this is taking place in the midst of modern life in the old city of Jerusalem. Shops and activities and noises and chatter and it's not unlike faith is for each of us always amidst distractions. And here we are trying to read scripture and pause and think about this uh, familiar story. Well, when we got into the church of the Holy Sepul Sepulchre, it became very crowded. This is a very famous church, and the spot uh, that marks uh, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, it was kind of a high space within the church. It was up on a hill, uh, as the story goes, and to get near the spot is not easy inside this church. It's up a steep set of stairs, and it's narrow, and it's cramped, and the crowds have to wait, and people have to take turns and navigate carefully all the people wanting to get close to these spots. And this is a sacred place because, indeed, uh, allegedly, that is the spot where Jesus died, the pl place where the cross was put into the ground. So touch it, be near it, pray at that spot. So right when we arrived, our group of 22 Presbyterian preachers, uh, into this famous and sacred place, there was a bit of tension because two other Christian groups had already gotten there and they were trying to squeeze into this sacred spot and there was um, a little bit of chatter going on and one person said, excuse me, we were here first and another said, no, uh, let's behave now and the other said, uh, you're saying I'm not behaving? And uh, <laughs> think about this, this is uh, Christians on a sacred journey, uh, marking a very uh, sacred walk of Jesus in a very historic church, and uh, the congregation, a conversation gets heated. And so it continues. You don't think I'm behaving? And the other said, you telling me about behaving? And, you know, the chests start puffing up and the tensions grow. Think about that. It is humorous. It is sad. It's sad because this is how we are. We often arrive in faith and devotion, and then we find ourselves fussing and puffing up and doing what maybe we're best at, fighting. Uh, it's not so unusual for human beings, and we all know this. In fact, sociologists remind us that the worst fights are religious fights, and maybe the worst fights are Christians fussing with Christians because we have this going on again in our Presbyterian church, as some of you know about. Some of our sisters and brothers, even in our own presbytery, are claiming that we don't take the Bible too seriously or we're not following Jesus like we should and yelling other uh, insults. And rather than focus on what unites us, which is God's abiding love for us and Christ's call to be Christ's people in this city and in the world and doing ministry together, 
we just sort of bicker and even debate about how we should divide. And it's not just in our churches. It happens in our families. People that we share so much with, we struggle. And it happens all around us as human beings, creating embarrassment, bringing shame on the gospel, and embarrassment to the name Christian. So today I want to give some attention to this whole call in both of these passages. I want to find some fresh encouragement for us as we seek to live with the kind of love that both these passages call forth from us. I want to give special attention to a particular word in these two texts, abide. First, John 4 says, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And John 15 says, abide in me as I abide in you. Words of Jesus. Now, in the craziness of our lives and in the world these days, I think I could make the case that the word abide is not a word that we use all too often. The essence of the word in both Greek and in English is to remain with, to continue with. See, God remains with us. And the invitation is to remain with God. God continues with us through all things, no matter what happens. And the invitation is to continue with God, no matter what happens. See, enfolded in God, our lives then are to be filled with loving. And that's not just emotions emotions of love, it's loving actions. Abide in me, Jesus says, as I abide in you. There's the given, I abide in you. So abide in me and love, love one another. God is abiding with us always and our call is to abide in God. And when we do, life is about loving. So this week we did what we do on most weeks in our life in my house. We made a pizza. We like making pizza in our house and we make it from a from scratch, we have this wonderful, fine, and simple recipe. You'll probably be asking me about it. And a little bit of water, and a little bit of yeast, and a little bit of flour, and some olive oil. And there's a rhythm to this making of this pizza crust, as you might guess. It's combining these ingredients in a certain order so it works. Dissolve the yeast in the water, and then that'll take effect as you add the flour and the oil. And the whole process comes about as you need, K-N-E-A-D, need and need, bringing about this nice crust for pizza. As I was kneading the dough this week, I was thinking about this word, abide. Remain with, continue with. See, these ingredients all come from separate places, but together they get mixed up, and there's no Nothing else but an abiding of all these ingredients, ingredients together, becoming something good, delectable, enjoyable, wonderful. It's not unlike what God keeps saying to us. Abide. Abide in me as I abide in you. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them, and it's all mixed up together becoming something good and delectable and wonderful. So we just can't come to worship 
and claim that we're Christian. We are to abide, remain, enfold our lives, have our lives kneaded together with God. And then we become who God calls us to be, people who love. That means we think about Jesus a lot in every conversation. That means we look for Jesus' actions wherever we find ourselves. Not just today and in this place, but tomorrow and the next day and whatever circumstance we're in. It means we seek always in every moment to be growing in God's love. Because, see, God abides in us and we're to abide in God. And that means we're then also acting out God's love in the world. We cannot just look for God in those moments that get tough for us. Look for God's care and healing when the going gets tough, when we find ourselves in tight spots or when life turns upside down. No, we are to remain with and continue with Jesus as he remains with us and continues with us in all things. That means, again, looking for Jesus in every moment, listening for Jesus in every conversation, striving to embody Jesus' ways in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our conversations around presbytery, in the world. There's a favorite saying that uh, has become transformational for me. I first saw this saying in, in Scotland on the Isle of Iona. The saying says, Bidden or bidden not, God is present. Bidden or bidden not, God is present. This has become a Important message for my life. See, divine love is a concrete act that has claimed me and claimed all of us saying God is real. God is present. God is at work. God is intending to change things for light and love and joy and justice. And that message, bidden or bidden not, God is real and God is present, is, intends to change how we think and how we act, and everything that we do with love. Divine love is both a model for how we are to love, and it is a power that enables us to love. See, our lives are needed together. Abide in me, I in you, love one another. That's the message. You know, as people of faith, we, we've heard this before, Right? We've sung about it numerous times, even already this morning. We keep saying it. We keep hearing it again. We have it in our anthem. We are surrounded by this as we're open to it. We celebrate it as we come to this table, the Lord's Supper. We pray about it. And yet we still struggle. We have a hard time embodying it. Too often, you know, People do not know we are Christians by our love, by our love. I came across a very interesting story that I think applies to all of us as we seek to bear fruit as God's people. Listen, long ago in a medieval village of what is now Krakow, Poland, there lived a poor rabbi, a pious old Jew named Isaac, son of Jekyll. 
One night, Isaac was awakened in a dream. The dream told him to make the journey to Prague. Go to Prague. Prague was a long way away, a difficult and arduous journey. But the dream said there, beneath the bridge in Prague that leads up to the castle, you'll find a treasure trove of gold that will change your life. At first, Isaac shrugged this off. He thought he didn't believe in dreams, but he had the same dream the second night and the third night and the fourth night. And then he decided maybe he better heed the call and make the journey. So several nights later, he arrived in Prague and he discovered the bridge that was named in his dream. But Isaac was dismayed because there were guards walking back and forth on the bridge. The rabbi felt thwarted. How could he complete his journey and fulfill the dream and dig under the bridge? So he lingered around kind of helplessly and listlessly. A heavy rain began to fall, and up and down the river bank he prowled until Isaac was stopped by the captain of the guards on the bridge who asked what he was doing and where was he going and why was he hanging around. Well, the rabbi said that he had come a long way, and he came to find something. And then he revealed to the guard the dream that he had had, the dream about the hidden cache of gold that was supposedly under the bridge there. Gold. Gold, the captain blurted. He couldn't keep himself from laughing. Who follows dreams like this? He admonished the rabbi for believing in dreams. What reasonable man takes dreams so seriously, he said. As a matter of fact, I heard a voice call out in an absurd dream just a few nights ago urging me to go to Krakow and find this rabbi named Isaac and uh, look in his kitchen and behind his stove there would be a treasure of gold waiting. So shaking his head in disbelief, the captain warned the rabbi about the sin of gullibility and he went back to his post, but Rabbi Isaac hurried home. And once inside his house, he looked behind the stove and found there the treasure that ended his poverty and did indeed change his life. Here's the point. The treasure that brings us out of our wretchedness the treasure that brings us out of our waywardness is never far away. It's not even in so many of the things and the places that we look. It's in the loving care and in the relationships that shape our lives. It's never in so many of the duties that we find ourselves doing, busy with. It's in how we do those duties with love and faithfulness, and care. It's never in the climbing and the chasing that often take over our lives. It's always in the way we interact with the people who are on the journey with us and how we love and how we care for one another along the way. It's never about the formulas. It's never about the big plans and programs and the policies that are going to change the world. It's in the way we actually engage each other as human beings on the journey and as we seek to serve God in the world. Jesus keeps saying it over and over, love one another, this is my commandment. So it's about how we love and our kindness and our nurturing of sincere friendships and building bridges and promoting peace and shaping the world toward the reign of God that is love. 
God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God. And God abides in them. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you, that is to fall. To turn to you is to rise and to stand with you with love and care and tenderness and mercy. That is to abide forever. Amen.